and welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray, the podcast for people who like wine, want to know more about it, and hear the stories behind the label. They say every great bottle of wine tells a story about the people who make it and the place where it is grown. And that spirit of storytelling is the driving force behind Folktale Winery in Monterey County. We are excited to share the story of Folktale and its winemaker, David Baird, with you. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. Folktale is a wine destination in the picturesque Carmel Valley. You'll have a great experience visiting here thanks to a beautiful patio, great food, and a welcoming hospitality. David's been the winemaker here since day one, partnering with Greg on a local mover and shaker in the wine and restaurant world. David brings his own touch to the wine program here and has some exciting projects, including a wine age below the waves in Monterey Bay with a connection to the local delicacy, abalone. David, we're so excited to be here. Welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on today. We are really glad to meet you and then share your story with our listeners. As we said, as we came in today, it's a Monday, and you've got tons of people out on the patio. People are eating. People are in the tasting room. We've got a little gift shop. And I noticed a lot of the outdoor tables, people have these flights of wine that they're trying. So this is really cool. It's a beautiful spot where people are really enjoying your wine. Yeah, we get to take advantage of the beautiful scenery around us and let people come and experience all the wines that we get to create here. And it's just such a magical pairing of food, wine, and atmosphere. It's perfect. Nice, nice. And the flights allow them to try a lot of the different varietals you're doing. That's right. We've got a number of different flights, kind of depending on people's appetite for kind of experiential wines. We've got kind of your standard wine flights of the core wines that we produce here, but also flights that lets you kind of explore and, and kind of go on your own adventure of tasting and trying different new wines. Yeah. So, you know, folktales focused on stories, but we want to know your story and how you came to be at Folktale. Sure. Look, you know, I started my journey uh, many, many years ago, it seems. Um, I think this will be my 17th harvest coming up. Um, I caught the wine bug when I was maybe 15. Uh, in Europe, traveling with my family, and I had a bottle of Condrieu at a family's uh, in a family's cellar, um, and I caught the wine bug from there. Um, I, I really kind of started diving in as soon as I got to college. I declared that as my major, um, and I stayed in the Central Coast, kind of experiencing all that this this region has to offer. Um, I've worked at some of the most amazing wineries and seen a lot of places, and I'm proud to call Carmel home and get to create wines here from Monterey County. What is it? Oh, sorry, America. I remember the first time I ever tasted Condrio, which is the Viognier from the Northern Rhone Valley. To this day, it's my favorite. <laughs> it's a mind blower, huh? Yeah. So it's really when you get the right bottle, it's really special. It really is. Well, I was going to ask you what it is. You said you caught the wine bug. So what is it about winemaking uh, that is magical for you and that is still interests you today, would you say 17 years later? Something like that. Yeah, yeah I guess that ages me a little bit. But I think it's, uh, it's the kind of the, the blending of, uh, you know, the art, the craft of winemaking, um, kind of that, that creative outlet, uh, along with the kind of the science of understanding, you know, why things happen and, and kind of the fermentation process. Uh, again, paired with being able to be in nature, um, be in amazing vineyards at sunrise, um, get to speak with people who are growing these amazing grapes and just kind of be able to kind of 
combine all of those things together. It's really special. You're drawn to the great outdoors. You just got back from a hiking trip through the Yosemite Valley. I did, yeah. 72 miles in seven days was no joke, but uh, proud to be... Uh, <laughs> that's no Proud stroll. to have made it back, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not just a casual... You're not wearing flip-flops camping. on that one. <laughs> no, no flip-flops, yeah. Plenty of blisters to prove it. That is a really cool thing to do. And uh, had you done a lot of backpacking before? When I was a kid, sure. Uh, it's been a number of years since I've backpacked. So uh, to kind of jump back in uh, and full full mm-hmm. force like that was a bit much, but well right. worth the views. Tell me this. When you're backpacking, the weight of your pack is so key. I mean, people uh, cut their toothbrushes in half to conserve weight in a backpack. So did you pack any wine? Did you splurge? And- <laughs> no, I, boy, I really wanted to, especially the first day when you maybe don't have to carry something the rest of the way out. But mm-hmm. um, kind of the thought of uh, having to pack out the glass bottle was a bit too much for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Weight was a huge factor and uh, it was just not really uh, practical to bring wine on that trip. You're just going to have to come up with some packaging and yeah. To make your wines portable for backpacking. Uh, trust me, on the trail, biodegradable. <laughs> you got plenty to think about. And I even thought about like some sort of dehydrated wine uh, that you can <laughs> kind of boil some water, then chill it back down and make some dehydrated wine. Well, so, something. Yeah. <laughs> Work on it. Get on it. There you go. Maybe next time we chat, we'll, we'll be talking about that. All right. Well, let's get back to folktale and how you wound up here and, um, you know, what, what you're enjoying about being here. Yeah, look, you know, Folktale just really gives me uh, an amazing opportunity to have full creative freedom. Uh, I get to kind of make whatever wines that in, that are inspiring us. Um, you know, we taste a lot of wines, whether it's local producers as well as international producers, see, what, see what's being produced, and we try to kind of have our own take on different things. Um, you know, Folktale is an amazing place that has evolved since day one. You know, you alluded to our beginning in 2015, and this will be our eighth vintage um, I wouldn't have never imagined where we'd be today, eight years ago, uh, but the journey has led us to this point. And today we're producing around 26 wines annually. Um, we're, we're bringing in about 24 different grape varieties from this amazing region. Um, and we get to kind of have uh, that, that ability to make some pretty special wines in that. Well, people may, who've been in Carmel Valley years ago may remember this winery in its previous life was called Chateau Julian. And Mary B and I were here with our TV show the first year we got started and we filmed a segment here for the show. We were doing a whole thing in Carmel Valley. I think I read that you had also visited here when it was Chateau Julian. Great memory, yeah. So I grew up here in this uh, beautiful valley. And when I caught that wine bug, I wanted to be sure of, of this life decision, right? Um, you're marrying your kind of your career in a sense, right? You got to make sure it's the right fit. Um, so I wanted to do a job shadow and I picked the local winery, which was Chateau Julien. So I was probably 16 years old. I was in this building, toured around for the whole day. I spoke with the staff, some of which who I work with today, who have been here since then. Uh, and I get to experience this place in its heyday. Um, and now look at look at uh, where we're at. We're sitting in the same space, and I'm the winemaker here. It's mm. a it's a pretty cool full circle. It really is, especially 16 years old. You were ambitious. I mean, I've got a 16 year old playing Xbox at home right now, probably. <laughs> well, we didn't have Xbox back then, but. Uh, <laughs> um, so tell me how the winery has evolved from uh, Julian to Folktale. 
Yeah, so I mean, you know, aside from the space, we really share uh, very different kind of trajectories or, or directives of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, we're trying to be expressive and let and let this kind of terroir, this region, speak for itself. Um, when we kind of took over this facility, um, we brought in all brand new equipment. Um, we focus on small batch fermentations. Um, we do as much native fermentation, minimal intervention, wine processing as possible. Um, and that uh, was a bit of a departure from the previous occupant. Um, they're very successful in their own right, but we kind of had our own vision of what we wanted to create and craft in this area. Um, and we've kind of been uh, in, in that directive uh, sense. So um, the wines that we crafted year one um, were made in a style that we've, again, tweak every year. I think it's really critical that as a winemaker, you continue to taste your wines, taste other people's wines, and kind of see how things evolve um, and make changes as you see fit. And we've done plenty of that. Um, you know, I think as a winemaker, it's really important for you to identify things that you can improve upon and then make those critical changes uh, as, as the years goes on. Because if you don't, you'll kind of be kind of uh, set in your ways. And I think it's really important to continue to push yourself and evolve. You've got a selection of wines from Cocktail for us to try. I certainly do. And um, let's get started with one. Um, Les Mistral is, I think, a wine that Cocktail has become well known for. Yes, yeah, so Les Mistral is, uh, is a brand that was started in the uh, about mid-1990s by none other than Joseph Phelps. And Joseph Phelps wanted to create a brand that kind of spoke to the amazing kind of uh, weather patterns that we have in the Salinas Valley. The Mistral winds or the Limistral winds are winds that blow down the Rhone Valley every afternoon in the summer. And they bring cool uh, kind of sometimes uh, you know, cloudy weather down every afternoon and cool the vines down. So it goes from a high of maybe 90 degrees down to about 55 every night. And Joseph Phelps traveled to this region, saw the same weather patterns and thought that he wanted to create a wine that was of similar nature to the Rhone Valley. When he kind of set off on this, he made a Grenache Syrah blend, just like a Southern Rhone blend might be. Um, and that, uh, that brand uh, kind of went in and out of different hands before settling in Greg Ahn's hands, the owner of Folktale. And we've taken this brand and just wanted to feature the Rhone grape varieties. Uh, and we've also expanded the portfolio. So now we have this wine that we're tasting today. This is our 2020 White Witch. It's a white Rhone blend consisting of Viognier, Grenache Blanc, Roussan, and Marsan. And we want to be representative of, of like what those white Rhone blends tend to be. Um, but I also wanted to make a wine that uh, was fresh and vibrant. It is, and it's, um, it's very floral, mm. and it's got a lot of the, the apricot taste and character fruit. It's also got some really great minerality. That, and that's the terroir. That's our that's region nice. here. Yeah. It really is. Um, you know, we, we grow these grapes on some extremely sandy and cobblestone soils, and it really kind of promotes that minerality and really features that aromatic component that you're It's nice. About. It lingers. It's really lovely. Yeah. Fine cobblestones in the Southern Rhone. It's very similar in many ways. Uh, and that's, again, why um, Mr. Phelps kind of d decided that. But um, it really does an incredible job. Delicious. I could sip this all day on the <laughs> This has got to be a popular one downstairs. It certainly right? is. And we can do that after the podcast <laughs> too. Yeah. No, this is this is uh this is our second vintage of this wine. And this was something that um on a whim we we just wanted to make a white Rhone blend. Um and so in 19 we set off to do that. And it's our second iteration. 
the first year sold out very quickly. And, and this one uh, is going to be selling out quickly as well. But it's become one of our, our guests' favorite wines very quickly. It's a good witch, not a bad witch. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Why the name White Witch? Right. So again, Greg wanted to have a name that kind of spoke to our region. So the Mistral are, are the winds from the Rhone. And Greg wanted a, a name, a moniker for our region. So the White Witch is his term for the, the, the fog that rolls in. Uh every afternoon and lingers until the morning sure. so that's that's our white witch and for the people who haven't been here um wind is one of the defining features of this wine growing region in fact when we got out of the car here the winds have already picked up and it's mm-hmm. only you know noon that's right and and again i hate to make people jealous but it doesn't get terribly hot here mm-hmm. um so the minute it starts getting above 80 degrees here in carmel valley things start cooling back down so lovely it's very temperate do you find that the fact that um, other regions are really heating up and dealing with how do we change our canopies to protect our grapes, do you feel like you're in kind of a sweet spot? For, for the most part, I would say that. Um, we're not immune to climate change mm-hmm. at all. Um, I do think since the Pacific Ocean is, is our prevailing kind of dominant factor for the weather, mm-hmm. that uh, unless that changes drastically, or like very quickly, then it's not going to affect us quite, quite as much. But mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot less rainfall in the winter. And that, that has lasting effects for the growing region, uh, the, the whole growing season rather. So although it's not affecting our like highs in the day, it does affect the growing season as a whole. And that has become a very important factor. Compound that with the fires that we've seen in the last few years locally. Um, we have very visible effects of climate change, but maybe just in, in different ways than other regions further inland. And I know that you've got a San Giovese here at this um, estate, vineyards, and you farm that organically? We do, yeah. We, we farm this uh, our about five-acre San Giovese site organically. Um, we also like to work with vineyard managers and, and uh, vineyard owners who farm organically, um, if not sustainably. So so all of the grapes that we that we bring into Folktale, we, we're only maybe farming about 5 to 10% ourselves, and the rest we source out in the region. That enables us to find some of the best grapes, the best sites uh, in this amazing area. But we like to work with vineyard managers who are farming in a way that represents our ethos and who we are. Tell me more about that space of your ethos. Uh, you guys are, you, you mentioned being concerned about climate change. And I suppose, I guess I'm asking about, do you guys try to lessen your footprint and all of that? Absolutely. We, we do everything we can. And there's a lot of things that we do that consumers don't get to see. Um, you know, we want to work with, uh, you know, it really starts in the vineyards. We want to work with the vineyard managers who are treating the soil, the land, the people who farm that in an ecological and sustainable way. Um, you know, we, we like to, um, you know, do what we can here at Folktale to be uh, as sustainable as possible, reducing our water usage, recycling everything we possibly can. You know, I think we're really focused on the future, not so much the moment. Um, you know, we want our kids, kids, kids to be able to be here uh, and enjoy this this amazing region. Um, and we wouldn't be doing our part if we were focused on the here and now. Absolutely. Good for you. Good for you. So you've also been able to really put your stamp on the wines here and um, create some interesting wines. So um, let's talk about the second wine that we've got on the table. Wonderful. So this is uh, a wine that we've called the Lion for Real. And the one that we're going to be tasting today is a five-year non-vintage Solera. So 
That's a mouthful, and I'm happy to explain that. Uh, You're going to need to. We're going to need to. <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> so let's start with an orange wine. An orange wine is a skin-fermented white wine. So for most white wine production, we are pressing the white skins immediately and producing uh, a fermenting juice, say Chardonnay. To make an orange wine, you take those same Chardonnay grapes and you ferment them with the skins. And the, the color from the skins comes into the bottle and it creates an orange colored wine. So it's almost like you're fermenting like you would a red wine. A hundred percent. It's yeah. exactly right. So we don't like to harm oranges and we'll be very right. clear. Right. There are oranges in the wine making process here. So to create a, a non-vintage is just essentially, you know, a blend of multiple vintages. And, and we've taken the term Solera, which is traditionally a, like a racking system um, that you put your current vintage in the top barrel and you mm -hmm. uh, bottle out of the bottom barrel. And there's a lot of oxidative process in there. It's very common in the sherry. Exactly. Um, it's also a bit uh, too laissez-faire of a winemaking style that, that I want to be part of. So I like to have a little bit more control, but also have a little bit more mm -hmm. of an old world feel. Mm -hmm. So we, we started making orange wine in 17, 2017. Um, it was one of these things that I just did on a whim and didn't even tell Greg, our owner, that we were we were up to this. Um, I tasted the wine and wasn't pleased with it, so we didn't bottle that. Uh, what I didn't love is that the, the palate was just a little too abrasive, a little too tannic in its infancy. Aromatically, it was incredible. It's beautiful, yeah. it is. Uh, and so we kept that around and made some in 18, and I decided to blend 17 and 18 together, and that wine was incredible. So what I decided to do is I uh, barreled half of it back down into the cellar, and half of it was bottled for consumers. We then brought in our 19 and did the same thing, blended the 19 with the 17-18 blend. I barreled down half and I bottled the other half. So I've continued to do this over the last few years. What we're tasting today is now the fifth, uh, well, maybe the fourth version of that. Um, it's the five-year Solera. So this is combining five different vintages. That is so cool. I've never heard anyone describe a process like that. And maybe this happens, but I just was never told about it. But this is really cool that where you use a little bit of, you use some of last year's and some of this year's and you get something special. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's how they make sherry. Oh, I didn't know that. But um, Who knew? <laughs> but outside of the sherry region, you really don't find many people using the Solera method. Right. And it, it's not something that I had you know, tasted sherry and thought, man, how do we kind of bring this to like the wine world, right? Um, it was just something that kind of came to us as saying, well, the, the solution to this problem seems to be blending. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really wanted to continue that evolution. Um, and I, I think it, it's also really fun and maybe maybe just a, a piece of me just wanted to kind of continue the, the, the fun process. Mm -hmm. And wanting a piece of every vintage along the way to be part of this wine. So, so this is your five year. There's a yeah. little bit of there's five years in this. Five glass. different vintages in this, and That's and so cool. in this we've got uh, uh, Chardonnay, Viognier, Grenache Blanc, and Riesling, um, and they all make up very different components every year, just depending on what we're yeah, it's, fermenting. It's super floral, but then um, acidity is really amazing, um, and I wish people could see the bottle um, that. The wine is um, a little bit cloudy, and it's not orange. It's more of a, how would you describe it, David? A uh, honeysuckle. I mean, like yeah. a very kind of honey kind of color. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, this is one of those wines, um, you know, we're, we're very minimalistic, and this is really pushing that boundary. If someone comes and wants to taste this bottle of wine, they're coming to, to experience a really amazing bottle of wine, mm -hmm. and I want them to taste that in its entirety. Um, wines uh, can be cloudy and there's nothing to be afraid of 
Um, that's natural sediment. And by taking that sediment out, you're taking a bit of the character, a bit of the soul out of that wine. That being said, I think it's very appropriate to filter wines when you need to, especially, you know, bright white wines. But I really wanted to let the kind of expressiveness to, to be featured here. Um, so it's an unfined, unfiltered wine. Very cool. And in the name, The Lion for Real? You got to talk to Greg, the owner, on that one. It's, it's a Ginsberg, uh, Allen Ginsberg poem um, called The Lion for Real. Oh, uh, And he took inspiration from that poem uh, after tasting this this bottle of wine. And the very label cool. art is very cool. Please describe it. Yeah, so so the label is, uh, it's a it's an orange lion, and uh, there's a gentleman with, um, I, I don't know, maybe some sort of medieval guy in medieval. there. Um, and he's on the lion's back, and um, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it, again, maybe it's up for interpretation as to kind of exactly what's going on, but um, it, uh, it's kind of an expressive bottle uh, for this. That's a really great way to describe this wine, expressive. Well, and I love that you you mentioned right off the bat that you, in this position, you're given the freedom to do, to explore, and to do things you want to do, and to take creative chances. And it sounds like you and Greg have a great relationship in that way, Greg on. We, we certainly do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd consider him a good friend. Um, you know, it's it's one thing, you know, being being the winemaker for someone, but it's also... Uh, just an extra level, you know, to be a good friend of someone's uh, just like that. So, you know, I think that we're able to uh, have this trust going back and forth that uh, he knows that I won't go too far out of, out of bounds. Um, but yet we like to push the envelope a little bit and uh, not just take status quo. Well, that's what's so fun about wine is um, so many people are kind of getting out of the traditional varietals and techniques and all respect for that, of course, and but it's really fun to see, especially since you know craft beers and and spirits are you know, very creative. It's fun to see that happening now in the wine too. Yeah, I think people the people want that. They want to step out of their comfort zone and explore a bit. And I think folktale gives them an opportunity to kind of taste things that they don't get to see on a regular basis at the grocery store or local bottle shop. Mm-hmm. You know, we we started kind of. Uh, pushing the boundaries a bit a few years ago and I think that uh, it's you know very kind of on trend right now for the wineries to be doing that Um, and it's been kind of fun to be on the forefront of of that exploration. Yeah I think as a consumer this is a product that you can learn about there's a lot to learn with wine and you know not that you need to be a wine aficionado to enjoy the process of learning it it's just or enjoying it you it's it's a lovely beverage to just drink but there's a lot, if you're curious, there's a lot to know about wine. That's right. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with something like Chardonnay, for example. Mm-hmm. We all love Chardonnay. Right. And, and for the right occasion, right meal, it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. But there's little to be discovered if you've had Chardonnay and, and know enough about it. Um, and it's there's a lot to kind of explore in something like this orange wine. It's just a really cool process to kind of get to hear and taste. Absolutely. Love it. But you do have a more traditional wine here that you're pouring right now. We do, yeah. This is our 2019 The Creator. It's a Pinot Noir that we created, um, really kind of highlighting the amazing uh, region uh, that we're in today, um, which honestly produces some of the best Pinot Noir in the world, in my opinion. I won't argue with that. (laughs) And what's nice just from looking at it, it's a a lighter color. There's so many Pinots right now that are way over-extracted dark and like is that really pinot yeah 
you know, we, we really pride ourselves on making balanced wines. Um, a lot of the Pinot vineyards that I, I source from, uh, I'm often the first winemaker to be in there picking grapes. Uh, we pick very early on to preserve the natural acidity. Uh, I, I want a wine that um, is lower in alcohol and mm-hmm. does express itself, uh, maybe a little bit lighter on its feet, a little mm-hmm. bit more kind of floral. Um, the aroma on a wine, especially Pinot Noir, is, is critical. Um, is. And I don't, I don't want a wine that's overly extracted and have to add water in the cellar just to kind of balance things out. So, yeah, um, no. it's a very delicate aroma. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, it's really, it's very pretty. I would say it's really tasty too. We, we've also in the 2018 vintage moving on. We've started introducing a lot more stem inclusion. So we do a lot of whole cluster fermentation whenever possible. This wine is uh, no exception. Tell us why you do that. What does that bring to a wine? Yeah, so whole cluster is, you know, when we're fermenting, you know, the cluster together in its entirety, um, it does a lot of things. Um, not only are you doing a, a bit of carbonic maceration at the bottom of that bin, there's limited oxygen at the bottom, um, and the berries will start to kind of ferment within uh, rather than introducing yeast, right? Um, so we're, we're getting a little bit of some, some more floral components. We're also getting a lot of savory qualities, um, a lot of... Uh, um, you know, kind of more robustness. Um, I find that in its infancy, the whole cluster can be a bit abrasive when I'm tasting things just a month or two after fermentation. But six months, a year later, um, the wine starts singing. And they don't sing quite as well uh, without that stem inclusion, in my opinion. I think that's such a fascinating part about this winemaking process is that when you first that first taste is not, you have to trust that, oh, this is going to turn into something good. And, and, and that to know time. that it's going to do that. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, you know, my first few years as a winemaker, it's really challenging to kind of understand what things are going to do as they continue to evolve. And that, I think, is part of the skill of, of making wine and being successful is, is trusting, mm-hmm. um, sitting back, trusting, and just knowing that the process will happen, but you have to be patient. Um, you know, wine is, is not uh, a technical field. Um, it's a very old kind of... Uh, very you know crafty kind of process and we have to just trust the process how do you know what a wine is singing to you well I, that's a great question i don't know maybe i shouldn't have said that huh? <laughs> uh look i think i think um you know a, a wine uh sh- you shouldn't find a, a point to a wine it should be a very rounded kind of uh process when you're tasting a wine nothing should be more kind of pointy than another um, i want the nose to kind of slowly evolve as, as i taste the wine um, everything should kind of be in harmony. Um, and I think when, when everything is in harmony and the flavors just evolve down your tongue and um, the, the uh, you know, uh, just, just everything kind of just like flows well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's what I mean when I say singing. <laughs> that's really fun. I love that. It is, absolutely. And so I mentioned earlier in my intro that um, you made a wine that you um, had um, aging a little bit in Monterey Bay. So tell us about that. Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Happy to share about that. That was a really fun, uh, maybe COVID experience, COVID adventure that we got to participate in. <laughs> um, you know, 2020, we, uh, we were always looking to do new, new and fun, different things. And um, I had read an article uh, about some wine that was, um, you know, pulled out of the Pacific down in Argentina or off the coast of Chile, rather. Um, and it was aged 100 feet under underwater, some Malbec that they had created. Um, I thought it was such a cool idea, but I just kind of thought about our environment, our place, and our cold Pacific. 
Um, here in Monterey Bay, our temperature in the bay ranges from maybe 51 to 58 degrees. It's very cold. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend swimming. Don't they call it the big refrigerator. It's something like that. It's cold. You yeah. need a wetsuit. It's yeah. not fun. Yeah. <laughs> With a hood and booties. For and sure. All. Yeah. So look, that's a great temperature, great cellar temperature. So I wanted to, to figure out a way of kind of marrying everything. In 2020, we took our state Sangiovese grown just a few hundred yards from where we're at today and made a sparkling wine. So we made a base wine here in the cellar. And then as soon as we added our tirage, we bottled that and we took it right to the Monterey Bay. We had done some experiments with uh, some empty bottles, some dummies. Okay. Uh, we used stainless steel crown caps and we wax dipped every bottle. We did about 25 cases, so it was about 300 bottles or so, or 150 bottles or so, um, and we sunk them in the Monterey Bay. Wait, what? Did you put them in something, or just sunk them? They didn't. So they weren't like floating. Yeah, the tide, I guess I know, should clarify, clink, right? Clink, yeah. Just toss it in. If you see one today, please did you send put them notes home. In them? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, what we did is we partnered with the Monterey Abalone Company. And they have been farming abalone under the Monterey Bay Pier for uh, decades. Mm -hmm. So we worked with them. We talked to them. And they had a couple extra abalone cages and some space under the pier. So we filled three cages, slowly dropped them under the bay, and sunk them at around 40 feet under the pier. Oh, we, we did this awesome. in uh, early November of 2020, um, right before the winter storms came through. So... Not only was the ocean at a great temperature, low 50s, but we were also anticipating storms that we, we get on the Pacific every every winter. And you wanted that? Absolutely. Why? For, so for the secondary fermentation, we want that sediment to be in solution. Oh, so um, you wanted it to be I did. I did. Oh, so sure that's you. really the difference between being in a cold cellar and being in the ocean. Sure, you can have dark environments in a cold temperature. But what you don't get in a cellar is movement. Uh -huh. Is that like a natural rizzling process? That's what right? I'm calling it. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted we wanted the waves. Uh, we wanted that kind of the tidal ebb and flow and the storms to kind of kick those cages around a little bit. And it did just that. We we this actually so cool. covered each bottle in a PVC tube that we cut about 12 inches, wrapped each PVC tube and bottle in a net, and then that was filled in the cages. So. We didn't want bottles breaking or clanking right. or spilling into the ocean. We didn't lose any wine. Um, Was so, there any concern about ocean water getting into Well, the that's where we did some testing. Did. Yeah. But yeah. again... You, you did the wax seal, we, though, right? We did. But, you know, I think, um, again, part of being in a sparkling is it's got positive pressure. So um, even if there was any infiltration of the crown cap... Um, if anything, wine would come out, nothing come in right. because gotcha. of that positive pressure in the bottle. Did you find any uh, critters making their home on the... We did. we did, yeah. So so there was a lot of like crustaceans that, that like lived on the glass. Mm -hmm. um, every bottle is different that we pulled out. There were no labels at that time. So every bottle has a different kind of uh, um, very unique um, kind of crustacean element on it. Um, and then there were some live critters on there as well. And we worked with uh, some biologists as we pulled the bottles up to make sure that there were any species that were within the bottles that we put those guys back in the ocean in an ecological way. And, and we did so very quickly just to kind of minimize that impact. So um, it honestly was a 
pretty cool process. Did it taste good? How did it taste? It was amazing. Um, it was one of our highest scoring wines and got rave reviews. But since we didn't make much, uh, it, we don't have much to share. Mm -hmm. And we also, uh, you know, I will say that there's um, a lot of positives in this, but there's also uh, an element that uh, we, we got our hands slapped a little bit. And um, Coastal we, Commission? We should have asked permission yeah, from the Coastal owe, Commission. <laughs> We'll have to edit later. this part out. Yeah. Um, no, no. What we did is we, you know, we we decided to just kind of work with the Abalone Company, mm -hmm. and since we were working with biologists and they were biologists themselves, we figured it was a, a pretty safe thing to do. Um, but the Coastal Commission didn't agree. So after hearing about the project, they basically told us to never do it again. We can ask for permission, but they'll never grant it. Oh. So it's not going to happen again. So it was a oh, uh, man. That it, is. It was what really a story. cool. Was a unicorn one. It was a unicorn. And look, I understand their perspective, and I respect everything that they do sure. for this amazing region. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have nothing but uh, great things to say about them. It is unfortunate that we can't, but I also understand that if this were to happen, perhaps a, another company would want to do it on a larger scale. Right. Uh, yeah. Perhaps some some other you know. Uh, maybe a biologist wasn't part of that. And, uh, and so there goes the ocean. For sure. And, and the whole ocean is, uh, yeah. And instead of uh, growing abalone, they'll be aging wine. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, so. I love that, you know, pioneering, super adventurous spirit. That is so cool. Yeah. And what a fun story. Yeah. That's and really neat. It's a great segue into the other two bottles that are on the table with us. Yeah, so, you know, part of being a winemaker is always wanting to kind of uh, do, you know, step out of your, your comfort zone a little bit. And for me, it's, it's, you know, I've been wanting to for years and years have a brand of my own where I can be truly expressive, truly kind of crafting my own wines in the style that I want to make. Honestly, they're, they're not too dissimilar from what I'm making here at Folktale, but I have stepped out of my element a little bit. In front of us, we've got two wines. One is a Pet Nat of Pinot Meunier. And another bottle is a blend of Pinot Meunier, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. Wait, say that again. <laughs> it's a blend of three wines. Yeah, but I mean, okay, Pinot Meunier. I wasn't expecting the white wine in there. Yeah, so it's a blend of red and white. Um, when you blend that into a red wine, it's it's not going to be a pink. It's it's a red colored wine, um, but I'm I'm using three varieties. One of those being a white white wine. Now, are you co-fermenting? And this is a little geeky. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> so it's, it's not a co-fermenting. Remember, some of us don't know what you're talking about. Co-ferment <laughs> so means um, like um, some wines are co-fermented. It's very common in the northern Rhone region where you see um, Syrah co-fermented with Viognier. Um, a look like 98% like Syrah and maybe 2% Viognier, depending on the winery. So, and we do that here as well. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Okay. But so this is just straight blending. It is. Okay. You know, it's it's a little too challenging to pick all of these varieties within the same few days. Let's yes. say. Mm -hmm. um, and so yes, this is producing three individual wines and then blending them together to create this wine, which is roughly a third, a third, a third, uh, with some kind of minor tweaks in there. It's a beautiful color. Yeah, it smells great too. Very vibrant. The Pinot Noir is, is from our uh, local Carmel Valley. It's a whole cluster ferment, fermented Pinot Noir. The Pinot Meunier uh, fermented about 50% on its stems. And the Pinot Gris actually let soak on its stems, on its skins for about four days um, before pressing that and then continuing that fermentation. Okay, Pinot Meunier, not many people know what that is either. Uh, no. It is a, um, 
It's one of the three grape varieties in Champagne blend. That's correct. That's right. Exactly. So, you know, Pinot Meunier is often overlooked. Um, you know, it's it's maybe not a wine that you see on a store shelf uh, ever, mm -hmm. um, but it's often wine that you've, you've, like you said, had in a bottle of sparkling. Um, I wanted to kind of bring that to the table uh, with Pinot Noir, very classic wine, and Pinot Gris, um, you know, very light and refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, so the pet net is of Pinot Meunier, um, and it's a really cool expressive wine that uh, really features this fun variety in a true sparkling but ancestral mm -hmm. method. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got one more wine that's still aging in the cellar. It's just a, a Pinot Noir, a whole cluster of Pinot Noir that I've got coming out too. So. And tell us this about blend the name is great. The label. So uh, my brand is called Common Thread. And honestly, I sat on a name for years trying to figure out what worked for me. I wanted a brand that, that spoke about myself and I've got two amazing boys. Um, I've got a four and a six-year-old. They're amazing. Those They're my ages. world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my boys and I share a common thread, a similarity. We all have a, a line down one of our hands, our left hand. It's called a single palmer crease. And it's pretty uncommon for most of the population. Um, it's a line that just goes like straight across oh, our yeah. hands. If you look at your hands as you're listening, you probably have two lines that diverge, yes. one going up and one going down. Uh, on my left hand and my boys on our left hands, uh, it's a line that goes straight across. It's oh, called yeah, a single palmer crease. I, look, I'm not a I'm not a palm reader, so I, I didn't really look at the step two. <laughs> How'd you figure that out? Sixty year, years ago, my my first son Colin was born, and uh, about six months into his life, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And one of the classic kind of uh, um, you know monikers of Down syndrome is a single palmer crease. It's pretty uncommon for kind of the general population, but uh, fairly common for individuals with chromosomal uh, differences. So um, the common thread of my boys and I is we have this. Um, it's also a common similarity between other individuals who have chromosomal differences. Mm. Um, and so what I wanted to do is create a wine that enabled me to have even more creative freedom than I have in my day job, uh, but also uh, provide an outlet for me to give back. And so what I want to do with this common thread brand is donate a, a, a percentage of, of my proceeds to Special Olympics, um, an organization that my son's a little too young to participate in today, but when he turns eight, uh, I hope that he'll be an active athlete and be able to participate and have a little bit more fun in this uh, kind of that community. I can't tell you how much I love that I notion and that spirit behind all of this. And so common is not in the marketplace yet. No, I, and again, being a and personal project, it's yeah. it's really hard to create a, a you know a brand and a packaging so um, with all the supply chain issues uh, I hope to have labels on my bottles in about a month's time and I'll release them shortly thereafter um, I'll have a website up in the next couple of weeks as so well by the time this airs it could already be in the market that's right so. yep yeah, that's right um, I've got two wines today and a third coming out um, I hope to continue this project uh, in the for the foreseeable future mm -hmm. um, you know we talked about the label as well I've got um, three hands. It's, it's a tracing of my boys and I, I um, but it's just the top half of her hand, basically from mm -hmm. that line up. It's just the top of our hands. They almost look like little crowns, but um, those are our hands. As That's drawn. so sweet. You sound like such a good dad. I'm just so impressed by that. Kids good are pretty you. fun. They really are. It's just personal, and I think that's really cool is, um, because I think people really do love to hear the stories about people making who are making the wine, and um, sure, it's great to know the background and um, any training and your experiences in the wine world, but to be able to tie in 
family and something really meaningful to you, I think, resonates with people. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so fun. It is. And this is this blend is delicious. Thank you. Sharing that one with us really good. Of course, yeah. So when um, people come to Folktale, talk about the experience they'll have here. Yeah, so we've got amazing uh, tasting area we call the wine garden. And our wine garden, as you alluded to before, is this outdoor space. It's beautiful. Carmel Valley is known for its incredible weather. Um, It's sunny just about every day of the year, it seems. Um, And so you can come experience this beautiful scenery. We've got mountains behind us you get to look at as you taste our wines. Uh, We've got a full menu as well. So we've got a culinary team on site um, that produces some of the most amazing food in this valley. Um, Fresh pizzas, salads, um, all sorts of other creative dishes, including your charcuterie and cheese boards that you can expect at a winery. Which is so cool because not a lot of wineries are able to provide a full menu like that. That's really neat. We're very lucky to be able to do that. So uh, really you get the full experience. Um, You know, we have food, we've obviously got the wine, um, and we're producing wine here as well. So um, you can also come visit and experience kind of the whole property. See the vines, taste everything, and and even maybe see some barrels if you're lucky enough. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's just a great place to come and hang out. Yeah, it is. And, and we do have music uh, most afternoons around 2.30 as well. So um, on our website, you can check it out. There's a calendar of events. Um, and I believe most days of the week that we've got uh, music playing now as well. So really, it's just an amazing place to come experience everything and just relax and, ex- and uh, just to get to hang out. I'm guessing just back from your backpacking trip, you won't be relaxing much. You're going to get right back into the work. What kind of stuff are you doing right now? Well, we are actually in the process of moving our cellar from one part of this property to another. We've got a room that was kind of our house for all of our barrels. We're currently in the process of moving all of our tanks into that space and housing everything under one roof. So we're right in the middle of that Mm -hmm. uh, in in anticipation of harvest as well, about Mm -hmm. six weeks out. Um, it's very busy here, mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of finalizing all of our creative ideas for this next vintage to um, be able to have a solid plan in place for the two months of hectic craziness that we call Harvest. <laughs> Anything new on the horizon you can share with us? Uh, we've got a couple blends ideas that we're coming up with this year. Um, I kind of want to keep some of these ideas uh, a bit under wraps right now. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to do lots of different creative things, and kind of depending on how things turn out, we might blend things differently. Um, but uh, we've got lots of creative ways to kind of spice things up a little bit. Good for you. All right, so when you're not working and you're hanging out with your boys, favorite thing to do, you guys go down to the beach, you go to the park. What do you do with your guys? Yeah, we love, I mean, the kids love the park, right? Mm-hmm. They love slides, all that <laughs> sorts of stuff. Um, I just got them squirt guns, and that's been a fun <laughs> summer activity. Uh, sometimes it gets a little too rowdy with the yeah. squirt guns, but that's always fun. So, um, just a lot of horsing around and uh, and hanging out is uh, it's kind of what we're up to. Good for you. And what do you do to relax and kind of take a break from all of it? I'm an avid gardener. Uh, I've got about a thousand square feet that I get to garden right now at home, and it's amazing. Um, I just pulled a zucchini out that. Uh, I guess I missed before Did the trip. Did you get huge ideas it, all the time? It's about 18 inches long. What? It's massive. Yeah. Uh, I've got pumpkins that are already mm-hmm. done. And again, mm-hmm. we're filming this in mid-July. So it's yeah. a bit early for these sorts of things. Yeah, but um, And I've got about 40 tomato plants that I'm going to start harvesting soon too. So Oh, I love it's it. It's fun. I love to garden as well. And I found with my kids growing cherry tomatoes, was really helpful because they would come they would want to come hang out with me in the garden and eat the cherry tomatoes rather than like a big old you know that's a great idea (laughs) yeah my boys have liked peas but i think i will be on the tomatoes soon that's a great idea i like that 
Well, David Baird, this has been such a treat to get to know you and hear your story and learn about the wines you're making here at Folktale. Really, really impressive. These are what we got to taste today was just beautiful. Absolutely. And um, you know, we encourage everybody to come visit. So how can folks find Folktale Wines? Yeah, so you can check us out on our website. That's probably the easiest thing to do, folktalewinery.com. Um, there you can shop. Uh, you can ship wines to you depending on what state you're at. Uh, we ship to about 35 different states. Um, we'd love to have you come visit here in person. Um, otherwise, we do have some distribution in some key markets in the U.S. So um, you could ask your local bottle shop and they might be able to point you in the right direction. If you can't find us from there, you can always shoot us an email. Um, I think info at Folktale Winery would be a great way to do so. Happy to help you out. The story at Folktale continues and we can't see, wait to see what you do next. Yeah, your next chapter. <laughs> Looking forward to it. But thank you so much you and so uh, sip, sip, hooray. Cheers. 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 Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you for listening to Sip, Sip, Hooray podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show because we sure love bringing it to you. And if you do like it, we hope you share Sip, Sip, Hooray with your friends. So go to whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. Be sure to review us, rate us. It helps other people find their way to Sip, Sip, Hooray. And you can also subscribe to our pod so you don't miss another episode when it drops. If you're looking for past episodes of Sip, Sip, Hooray, you can find them on our website. It's sipsipparaypodcast.com. Be sure to follow us also on social media. We are at Sip, Sip, Hooray Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are at Sip, Sip, Hooray, the number one. Be sure to DM us with any ideas, questions, or just leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We are, of course, the two Marys, and we do like to eat, drink, and be merry. So, Mary Orland, cheers to you and sip, sip, hooray. Cheers, Mary Babbitt. Sip, sip, hooray.